Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 1. We're going to read there together, John chapter 1. And um, let me tell you about what's coming up in two weeks, two, two special things. We're going to take communion together two Sundays from now, which is the 30th of August, for those who are able to be here in person. By the way, if you're watching online, we're so glad to have you. We'll take communion. We haven't done, been able to do that for a long time. We'll use the little individual packets that make it a little more you know, easier to follow hygiene and such. But uh, and, and that it's just always a special moment for us as a church. And then also on the 30th is the next membership class. If you want to join our church, you can do it through the class. That's how you do it. Or if you just want to find out more about our church, you're welcome to come. We'll open your Bibles to John chapter 1. We're working our way through this chapter of the Bible. And it is a great chapter. And um, the, I'm a, I like animal shows. My, I, I find them uh, relaxing. My wife finds them kind of boring, to tell you the truth. But um, Jesus is described several times in Scripture in, with two different animals. One's the Lion of Judah and one the Lamb of God. And both describe part of who Jesus is. He is the Lion, all the power, all the strength, all the might that you need. He is the Lamb, willing to die a sacrificial death on our behalf. And we need this attribute of God. I'm going to talk what it means, uh, with you about what it means to be uh, the Lamb of God. And let's read John chapter 1. I'm going to read beginning with verse 29. The Bible says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he was sent. Uh, he who sent me to baptize with water told me, The one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, and it was about four in the afternoon. Well, I want to talk about what it means, what the Bible is teaching us here about the Lamb of God, and encourage you to take notes uh, on your worship guide or on your notes if you're online. And uh, write these three principles down. The first principle I want you to note about the Lamb is the Lamb takes away your sin. One of the things the Bible teaches us is that Jesus, as the Lamb, is the means by which our sins are taken away. Verse 29 says it like this. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's note a couple of things about this. Uh, principle that Jesus takes away our sin. First note, he is the sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice. Now, the lion is referring to the predator. The lamb, that's the sacrifice. And the Bible says Jesus is the lamb on our behalf. And if you, the Old Testament, if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know they practiced the sacrifice in the Old Testament. You couldn't read through the Old Testament or grow up in that generation without understanding that there, was a con there are consequences to sin. Sin always, listen, I know our world, this does not sound like the world would say it. The world says there's no such thing as sin, but if there is, it's no big deal. 
And God says quite the opposite. He says sin always leads to death. And there was the death of an animal as a reminder of the consequences of sin. It always leads to consequence. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, the Bible says. And so an animal was sacrificed as a reminder of the consequence of sin and the atonement that needed to be made. And when Jesus is described as the Lamb of God, it refers in many ways most vividly to those who know the Old Testament to the story of Exodus. You may know that story. The Israelites find themselves in Egypt and eventually they become slaves in Egypt. Slavery has been a part. As long as there's sinfulness in our world, which will be till the end of time, fallen people do fallen things, and the Israelites found themselves living in slavery and bondage, and God sent a deliverer. And Moses, who was an Israelite who had grown up in Pharaoh's palace, was sent by God, and God would use various miracles to eventually show the Pharaoh and the people of Egypt the wrongness of their ways, and that they would eventually let the Israelites go, but not until ten plagues took place, and the tenth was the worst. The tenth was the plague of the death of all the firstborn in Egypt. And the death angel would come, and he would take the firstborn of every family, except for those who took the blood of the sacrificed lamb, the Passover lamb, and applied that to the doorpost of their home, and the death angel would pass over those homes, and they would live. By the way, when Jesus died on the cross, it was the Passover. And Jesus is for us our Passover lamb, the means by which death has lost its sting, the means by which we find eternal life and forgiveness and hope because Jesus is our sacrifice when we take communion in a couple of weeks, we're going to remember again the sacrifice Jesus made on our behalf, the costly nature of our forgiveness. He is the sacrifice, and secondly, He is the Savior. The Bible says He's the Savior. Uh, John the Baptist said, look, this, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the Bible says we're lost without Christ, and we need to be saved. The Bible says we are condemned by our sins, and we need to be forgiven. And Jesus, by his sacrifice, his death for us, is our Savior. He is the one who can save us from our sins, forgive us of the penalty of sin, give us freedom and life and hope and meaning and purpose. I want to read from the book of Revelation all the way into the future, what's going to happen. The book of Revelation is talking about what's going to happen. And John the Revelator, John the Apostle, not, the, not John the Baptist, records these words. The Lord gives him a vision of what is going to happen in our future. And let's pick up the story in Revelation chapter 5. I think they'll put it on the screen for you, beginning with verse 1. Here's what the Bible says. John said, Then I saw there in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, there's our, there's our Savior, the power to save. The lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. 
Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb. There's our lamb of God. I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne. And the four living creatures and among the elders, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Here's their song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood. That's the, that's the price of our forgiveness. Because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. The Lamb takes away your sin. He is our sacrifice and He is our Savior. The means by which you can be forgiven of your sins. The means by which the debt has been paid. The means by which we can know God. And yet, for many, it's as though this is no big deal, as though this is a small thing that lacks any real significance. We hear this message of the gospel and sort of let it roll off our backs as though it has no great significance. The other day I was shopping with my wife, and I wasn't actually shopping. I'm not a big shopper, but I just dropped Vicki off, and I was going to pick her back up when she got done. We had one of the big box stores, and so um, I was thinking about this message, and I just happened to notice some teenage girls come by on skateboards. There's a group of them, I don't know, gang of them, whatever it was, on skateboards, and they were coming along. And as they were skateboarding, a big box store, people coming in and out, cars all around, they were on their phones, looking on their phones as they were skateboarding right down in front of this store. People everywhere oblivious to all that was going on around them. And I thought, how, how much like our society when it comes to the things of God? The gospel message, almost oblivious to the nature of sin and the consequences of sin and that sin leads to death and that Jesus paid the price that was ours and that the lamb was slaughtered on our behalf and by his blood we can be forgiven because Jesus paid the debt that was mine and yours. Man, this is a big thing. The lamb takes away your sin. There's a second principle I want you to note and that is the lamb connects you to God. The lamb connects you to God. Now, how can we be connected to God who is holy when we have sinned? I just talked about how we've all fallen short. We're all fallen people. We're broken. How could we ever be connected to God? Let's note three ways that we are connected. First note, we're connected by his position, by his position. The Bible says in verse uh, 30, John said, this is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. John the Baptist did not think life was about him. He was not pointing people to him. He was pointing people to Jesus. He did not make life about himself, about his wants or wishes or likes or preferences. He said, this is about the Lord. In fact, John the Baptist would have, you'll notice later in the text, people who are following him, disciples of John the Baptist, will leave John and begin to follow Jesus. And he does not mind. He does not mind. 
because he said, I must decrease and he must increase. I'm going to decrease. I need to decrease because I want to magnify Jesus. He must increase. And what, man, that is the spirit. That is the heart of worship where we're saying, it's not about me. Listen, it's not about your life group teacher. It's not about your pastor. It's not about your, your grandma who loved you deeply and taught you about the things of God. We are thankful for, for people like that in our lives. We love that they set an example, that they teach us God's Word. But if they're doing it right, it's not about grandma or pastor or life group teacher, but about Jesus. He must increase and we must decrease. We want to point people to Him. And John the Baptist is saying, by His position, He is Lord, He is King, and He is the means by which we can be connected to God. Now, there's a second way we're connected to God, and that is by His baptism. The Lamb connects us by His baptism. Notice what the Bible says in verse 31. John said, I came baptizing with water. Remember last week we talked about baptism and some of its significance and how John came with the baptism of repentance leading to the return of Jesus. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. He set the example for us. I commend that to you. Some of you have never been baptized as believers. Follow the example of Jesus and be baptized uh, yourself as a believer is a powerful thing. But I'm not talking specifically about the baptism of John the Baptist, the baptism of repentance, nor about the baptism of Jesus, though he set the example for us. But I'm talking about the baptism Jesus does. Notice what the Bible says here in verse 33. John said, I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, the Bible is saying, by his position, by his power, by his greatness, baptizes us, not just with the baptism of repentance or even New Testament baptism, but with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is, God the Holy Spirit, remember God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, the very nature of God is to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is who he's always been. That is who he, is, he will always be. That is his very nature. God the Holy Spirit comes to live in us when we trust Christ as Savior. Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to live in us as believers. That's why our body is described as the temple of God. Not because it's necessarily, maybe, you're, maybe you've never worked out a single time in your life. The Holy Spirit, if you know Christ as Savior, lives in you. Your body is the residence of God. God is not distant and far removed you are baptized with the Holy Spirit by the power of the Lord Jesus. We could never have the Holy Spirit in our own merit. We're sinners, and God is perfect. But in Christ, we're forgiven of sins and declared holy and righteous, and God the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And we're connected to God. We're connected to God, thirdly, by His nature. By His nature. Verse 34 says, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. This is not something that can be done just by man or just by good teaching or just by being nicer or self-improvement, but by God himself. The Son of God is the one who, who can connect us to the Father and connect us to eternity. The Lamb connects you to God. If you're new to St. Louis, you'll uh, learn about, if you haven't yet, I hope, a little of the Eads Bridge, which goes across the river. It's the oldest bridge still in existence across the Mississippi. It was the first bridge built south of the Missouri River where it comes into the Mississippi. And it was built to connect the Illinois side and the Missouri side. And these bridges, fascinating. 1874 it was made, 1874. 
a long time ago. It was built by a man named James Eads. That's why it has the name James Eads. James Eads uh, had no formal education. He had never built a bridge in his life when he was hired to build a bridge that has lasted for 150 years. You can still go across it, by the way, in your vehicle. Metrolink goes across the Eads Bridge. And it's lasted all of the, it's an incredible bridge. This man was a genius. I, I don't just suggest you just find just anyone to build a bridge. He was a genius, but self-educated, no experience in that world. He was, did civil engineering things in uh, the Civil War and before that time. When he built the bridge, people were still nervous about it. And so the uh, circus was in town, and he got the circus to get an elephant, to take an elephant across the bridge and back. There was a myth then that said elephants wouldn't walk on anything that was, you know, dangerous. They had a, you know, they thought they maybe had a sixth sense type thing. And so people felt better when the elephant went across and back. And then they took locomotives, 14 locomotives went back and forth across the Eads Bridge. And it's, it's done okay. You know, it stood the test of time, 150 years nearly. It's done a pretty good job, nearly as old as our own church congregation is old. I mean, it's been an amazing story. What the Eads Bridge did was to connect the Illinois side and the Missouri side. And before that, you just had to take a boat or, or you know, swim. Good luck with that. And, and it was connected. Well, how do we connect with God? Jesus is our bridge. Sinful man and holy God. And Jesus, by his death on the cross, by his resurrection, the miracle that he did for us, is the means by which we can be forgiven of our sins, declared righteous and holy by his merit, not ours, and brought into connection with God himself. This is no small thing. There's a third principle I want you to note, and that is the Lamb invites you to follow. The Lamb invites you to follow. The Lamb wants you the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word who was with God and was God. The Word who created everything that is created. The, world, the, the Word, the Bible says, who, who uh, dwelt among us, who tabernacled with us. He invites us to follow. And really, that's what it means to be a disciple. It means we follow Jesus. We don't follow ourselves, our feelings, our culture, what's popular, what's easy. We follow Jesus. Let's note a couple of things here. First, would you note... Jesus initiates your discovery. He initiates your discovery. The Bible says this in uh, verse, 33, verse 35. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. He just pointed out to his disciples, the Lamb of God. He's always pointing them to Jesus, not to himself. And verse 37 says, the two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. And when Jesus turned and noticed them, and by the way, Jesus noticed you. Did, you. did you know he notices you? He knows your name. He knows your issues. He knows your potential. He knows your problems. He knows you in a way no one else in the world knows you, in a way you can't fully understand yourself. He knows everything there is to know about you. He knows all the details. He knows the good. He knows the bad. He knows the problems. He knows the pain. He knows all of that. He notices you. He's not unaware of who you are or what your needs are. God has, he's fully aware of all that's transpiring in your life. And the Bible says when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them this question. It's a great question. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? 
They could have answered that a thousand ways. By the way, what would Jesus, if Jesus asked you that question, how would you answer it? What are you looking for? I mean, what is it that you really want? One of my brothers uh, was a sleepwalker for a while as a boy, and he, as a little boy, my parents found him in the middle of the night in the closet. They said, what are you doing in a closet in the middle of the night in the dark? He said, I'm just looking around. He said, just looking around. Well, that's what many of, many of the people in our culture are just looking around in the darkness. They don't, know what they don't know what they want. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what they're searching for. Maybe that's you. What are you looking for? If you got what you're looking for, is that, is that really what you want? Is it money? If you got enough money, is that going to do it? By the way, are, are there any, any evidence of anybody in the world who's ever made lots of money and still been miserable? Yeah. What about, like, pleasure? Is that, is that really what you're looking for? You ever heard of a, someone in Hollywood or some famous athlete who just seemed to have power, pleasure, money, fame? Still miserable, empty? You will never, short of God's best for you, be satisfied with what the world has to offer. Listen, I can say that biblically, and I can say that just from observation. You will never be satisfied short of God's will and God's best for your life. So he said, what are you looking for? And then notice this. Not only does Jesus initiate your discovery, but he invites your discipleship. He invites your discipleship. And uh, go with me to verse 39, verse 38. They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? They said, listen, maybe we're not sure exactly what we're looking for, but if you could just tell us a little of the future plans, maybe we could decide if we wanted to keep following you or not. Wouldn't you like Jesus to sort of give you a long-range plan of what's going to happen in the future, what's going to transpire? You know, when I came to know Christ as Savior, I did not know very much about what that meant or what that would look like. I just knew I needed a Savior and that Jesus had paid the penalty for me and I gave my life to Christ. As a young man, when I struggled with, will I follow God's will or my will? Am I going to go with the culture's way or Christ's way? I, I, I would love for God to have said, here's what I want you to do. and Just show me the path and everything that you're going to do in my life. And he didn't. He didn't. He just said, in effect, in my life, he just said, follow me. And slowly but surely, he began to show me more of his purpose and plan, but he didn't show me a long-range plan and a long-range purpose. Notice what he says here. When they said, when Jesus said, what are you looking for? They said, well, we just want to know where you're staying. And notice what Jesus says in verse 39. Come, he said, come and you'll see. If you want to see, you're just going to have to follow. You want to find out God's will for your life? Well, trust him today and follow him today. You'd like to know what God has in store for you in the next decades? I doubt he's going to tell you all the details of that. What he's probably going to say to you is, I want you to trust me with today and follow me today. Come and you'll see. You want to know my best for your life? Just follow me. This day and the next and the next and the next and the next and the next. And you'll begin to see God's purpose and God's plan and God's best for your life. And so I want to ask you, Christian, those of you here who know Christ as Savior, to follow Jesus. Not just to know Him as Savior, but to live for Him as Lord. And to follow Him. And if you'll come, you'll begin to see.
Maybe you don't know all of what God has for you. Some of you are young here and you're thinking about, I wonder what God has for me for a career or for marriage or family or what God might want to do. I don't know. And probably God won't tell you the specifics until you're willing to say, God, I'm just, I'm just going to go where you say go and I'm going to do what you say do and I'm just going to follow you. And as I follow you, I'm going to trust you enough to follow you this day And as I trust you, I'm just going to trust you with my life and my future. Whatever that entails, wherever that leads, Jesus says, come and you'll see. And the Bible says, says, so they went and saw where he was staying and stayed with him that day. And by the way, they would stay with him for the next three years. And then they would watch him die on a cross. And then they would watch this great miracle of Jesus rising from the grave. And then they would see Jesus ascend back to the Father. And then they would, for the rest of their lives, until they died martyrs' deaths themselves. They would live a life for the glory of God. That's what the Lamb does. He takes away our sin, and He connects us to God, and He invites us to follow. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. As we pray, I want to ask you uh, to do a couple of things. If, you're, if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, I want to ask you to give your life to Christ today to give your life to Christ. If you're watching online or you're here in person, would you just give your life to Christ? Would you repent of your sins and place your faith in Christ? Christ paid the debt for you. You'll never self-improve your way to perfection. You can't be religious enough to get to heaven. You need what Christ has done for you. Would you repent of your sins, place your trust in Jesus, and receive him as Savior? Right where you are, you can do that this day. Christian, would you say, God, I want to recognize what you've done for me. I don't want to be just distracted through life and unaware unfocused. I want to live my life for your glory, knowing what you have already done for me. Would you help me to follow you, to follow you? And God will bless and honor that prayer. God, I want to follow you. I don't know where that leads entirely. I don't know all the details of what you have for me in the future, but I'm just going to trust you with this day and the next and the next. God, I want to walk this long journey of faith with you, and I want to follow you. God invites you to follow. Would you say yes to him? Father, I want to thank you for the power of your word. I want to thank you. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for being the Lion of Judah. All the strength that we'll ever need, I thank you. But I want to thank you for being the Lamb of God, willing to sacrifice in our behalf. We could never deserve it. We can't fully understand how you could love us as you do. But we are grateful. We are grateful that you love us. And so we thank you for being the Lamb of God on our behalf. We thank you for forgiving us of our sins by the precious blood of Jesus, for connecting us to God in a way we could never do on our own, never hope to do, and inviting us to follow you in this great journey of faith. Father, we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.